This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Real Vision. Excited today to talk to Andrew Keyes, co-founder of Dharma Capital. We're going to talk about global macro, staking, and about the NAMI wallet. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Ash. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Before we get started and talk about what you're doing now, let's talk a little bit about your history in this space, because you've been doing this a long time. Sure. So, so primarily my background's been at the intersection of capital markets and software engineering. I previously worked at a bulge bracket bank and built a medical database company at the same time Bitcoin happened. So between working at a bulge bracket and building uh, a medical database, I knew everything that was wrong with payment systems and legacy databases. But when I saw Bitcoin, I, I thought of it as this interesting funky experiment in monetary policy, but we couldn't add uh, arbitrarily complex business logic to, to Bitcoin. Uh, a simple, if X happens, then payment, else failure, what, what is now matured to become smart contracts. And uh, so unfortunately, I didn't get involved in, in Bitcoin too early, but when Ethereum uh, came to light, I was following it uh, more from kind of a computer science and and, and business improvement uh, standpoint, and literally met Joseph Lubin, one of the founders of the Ethereum protocol, at the first ever Ethereum meetup, like the nerd that I am in Manhattan. And uh, Ethereum hadn't even launched yet. And Joe was conceiving a concept of creating a a crypto alphabet or a crypto microsoft if you will uh that that would consider uh you know building on top of ethereum like alphabet built on top of the legacy web2 internet and uh i thought that was a fascinating concept and so 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 i basically helped joe from inception of consensus uh basically day 0 uh, pre the launch of Ethereum, bring blockchain to market. Uh, and 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 for those of you who don't know consensus, they probably know MetaMask, uh, which is the the most used uh, wallet in in the space. Uh, primarily, I uh, personally led the implementation of the concepts of blockchain as a service. Uh, a fun little fact is that the first time Ether crossed one dollar. Uh, from you know pennies, uh, it was because uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, wrote an article talking about Microsoft Azure basically putting a private implementation of Ethereum into the cloud. Uh, afterwards, we created the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, which is an open source standards body. Uh, many know the Ethereum request for comment 
process, so ERC-20, so any fungible token, or the ERC-725 uh, is a non-fungible token standard. So basically, we built uh, the creation of standards of, of tokens, of wallets, of identity, of reference architectures, of the specification of Ethereum. Uh, I also helped create the first derivative on top of Ethereum. And then uh, later in my tenure at Consensus, I was responsible for supporting the venture team and, and basically the token foundry team that uh, basically created uh, next generation tokens and created the concepts of tokenomics. So you were present at the creation for Ethereum. Uh, really part of this process as the uh, sort of abstraction layers have continued to build, as the functionality of Ethereum has continued to expand. Uh, you left Consensus. Tell us why you left and what you wanted to do next. So I, I left Consensus and, and I still respect and love all of the good people of Consensus. But but simply put, uh, I was considering and, and I built an asset manager uh, and and an asset manager would not sit well inside of Consensus. Consensus is a software engineering company, and uh, at that time, I didn't think that there was uh, much of the intersection of kind of institutional capital markets and blockchain technology. So 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 I went on to build uh, a company called Digital Asset Risk Management Advisors, which is an acronym for Dharma Capital. And, and simply put, we are uh, financial engineers uh, with a firm understanding of, I'd say, the intersection of computer science, blockchain, and, and, and basically investment. And, uh, you know, our specialty is in helping protocols grow. So our clients are not necessarily retail. Our clients aren't necessarily even institutions. And in many instances, our clients could be the uh, nonprofit foundations that are building these Web3 protocols. So we are a CFTC registered firm deemed a commodity pool operator and commodity trading advisor. And, and we really have three uh, solid businesses. Uh, the, the first business, uh, which is our strongest conviction, is what I would call quantitative systematic alpha of Ether. So uh, we, we originally, and, and simply put, quantitative systematic alpha of Ether uh, meant for every 100 Ether that we own, how do we generate more Ether in Ether terms, not in absolute dollar return uh, terms? So for every 100 Ether we, we have, how do we generate a new Ether a month, for example? Uh, initially, we did that by trading. We also did that with lending. And most recently, we are doing that with staking. Uh, and we, we now manage uh, over 10,000 validators uh, staking close to about $1.5 billion of Ether. Uh, secondarily, we have a swap facility that uh, is being submitted to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's swap data repository, uh, where we uh, uh, enter into swap transactions with Filecoin miners, uh, an adjacent vertical or adjacent layer in the Web3 stack to smart contracts, in my opinion, uh, and a very important one, which I think will take off in 2022, is decentralized file storage. And in an effort to geo-diversify uh, the Filecoin uh, 
storage facilities around the world, we've created this swap facility wherein uh, miners can, can, can use uh, our assets um, in order for them to stake uh, in order to basically earn Filecoin storage rewards. And then lastly, uh, we have a, a, a proprietary venture investing book. Simply put, we make uh, venture capital investments in, in protocols or companies or DAOs that we believe we can add value to. You know, you really do have an interesting background. It's interesting. Most people in this space tend to come from one of two areas. Either they have a strong background in software development uh, or they have a strong background in the financial services industry. You bring both of them together here uh, talking about the quantitative systematic alpha strategies. And it's pretty rich and diversified uh, series of things that you guys are doing there. Um, lending, staking, swap transactions, and then prop investing uh, in a kind of de facto VC context. I think the thing that may have struck most people is the scale of your staking book. I believe you said over a thousand validators, 1.5 billion US notional. So 10,000. So 10,000 so 10, validators at 32 Ether per validator uh, before the staking rewards. So yeah. I mean, this makes you one of the largest staking books in the world. Yes. And, um, and, and it is indeed our strongest conviction that Ethereum uh, is the substrate of the future of the global economy. And uh, to that extent, uh, it is our uh, passion to validate those transactions. Let's, let's break that down. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people have a conviction uh, on that thesis, but you have uh, a billion and a half dollars backing that conviction. Tell us a little bit about the staking business, particularly for people uh, who are new to this space or relatively new to this space, who've seen uh, the uh, obviously the value proposition of Ethereum in terms of its price action, uh, but who don't really understand where we are in terms of this roadmap uh, of moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Uh, and how exactly Ethereum 2.0 is going to implement this staking solution and why you have such a strong, indeed, billion-dollar-plus conviction in this thesis. Sure. So so before diving into Ethereum, I think it makes sense to kind of talk about validation of databases. And, and without getting too technically detailed into the weeds, simply put, right now, most of the internet it, uh, the way we access it when we go onto eBay or Uber or Facebook or Amazon, uh, it basically there is a sole database administrator, and it is that oligopolistic company. You're, it, you know, take any one of your fangs, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, so, so in Uber sense, they are the sole database administrator, and. Basically, blockchains have provided a global permissionless database and uh, similar to the global permissionless internet. But what we have to do is we have, if the, these are permissionless databases that anyone can join and anyone can transact on, uh, we don't have a sole database administrator as in the Uber example. So we have to create uh, incentives for actors to validate transactions on these databases. Uh, and the most common validation metric 
is a concept called proof of work, uh, made infamous uh, by Bitcoin. And, and, and I am a fan of Bitcoin in so much as I do believe it is the patriarch of digital assets. I, I don't think it's the future by any means, but, but I think uh, Satoshi's vision and, and creation is, is the forefront or is basically the beginning of this story. And, but, but basically, the proof of work concept is very intensive of capital. And it's intensive of uh, real estate needed. It's intensive of electricity needed. It's intensive of hardware needed. It's intensive of time, human capital to set up those, those operations. But simply put, what, what it does is any actor can provide a benevolent work uh, in, in Bitcoin uh, coupled with having hardware, electricity, and a place to store that hardware and get a reward for maintaining the integrity of that database. And uh, there, there are articles that, 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 that are very often cited that the electricity consumption of Bitcoin is the size of various small countries. Uh, last year, it was uh, Norway. Now it's New Zealand. Maybe next year, it's going to be Australia. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, they get larger and larger and larger, meaning that while this is a new kind of trust mechanism where we don't have to have one database administrator to prove the, the integrity of the database, we now have many uh, that can do so. And then we basically have a fair playing field. Uh, we, we, we now have a situation that is extremely consumptive in terms of energy, hardware, and real estate. And the world of blockchains are transitioning from proof of work to proof of stake, uh, where instead of having to rent a building, buy millions of dollars worth of hardware, spend millions of dollars worth of electricity, and, and basically your Bitcoin reward uh, may be, you know, 120% of your costs uh, as, as, as a validator, uh, you're going to be able to transition to a new type of validation metric called proof of stake, wherein uh, you can basically make a deposit, still add beneficial action to the network, and then you get your deposit back plus a similar type of reward that you would if you were in proof of work, but you don't consume the vast amount of electricity, you don't consume the vast amount of hardware, uh, you don't consume uh, the real estate expenses. So basically, simply put, Ethereum can process much more sophisticated transactions than Bitcoin, and the consumptive footprint is going to be reduced 99% to do so. And that is a big deal in, in how we as a society will use blockchain databases to, to, to be the substrate of our economy. 
So this is a fascinating premise that you've just unpacked here, and you've really just explained this intersection uh, of the world of cloud services uh, and the world of financial services with this intersection here that you're talking about. Uh, give us a, a sense on why the conviction is so high. I, I'm struck when we're talking about uh, you know, a billion and a half dollars in capital, uh, it would be very easy for you to uh, harvest a 50 basis point yield on that, not do anything. Why so, so such a strong conviction in this technology? Uh, well, first off, I want to be part of the solution. I, I think that uh, we've got, we've taken for granted a world where we have subjective institutions providing trust versus mathematical properties providing objective trust. So we're going from a place of institutions giving their opinion, their subjectivity of trust to a world where mathematics will, uh, will, will deem objective trust, neutral trust. And, and the difference between JP Morgan telling you if you're right or wrong or StubHub or Uber telling you if you're right or wrong to mathematic properties that both the counterparties can agree on um, revealing if we're right or wrong is, is a big deal for how society works. And I believe it is a net positive to humanity. And I think it should reduce, uh, re reduce the friction and, and, and kind of unnecessary bureaucracy in, in how we as a society govern ourselves. Yeah. You know, talking about this intersection, I mentioned 50 basis points. You and I have chatted before, and I know that you're very passionate about where we are uh, right now in terms of this yield-starved capital markets uh, scenario that we see before us. Give us a sense uh, of how you believe the, the yield-producing attributes uh, of this asset address a problem more broadly in the financial services uh, ecosystem. Sure. So, so, so simply put, you nailed it, Ash. Uh, we, we are in a yield-starved uh, economy. Zero uh, percent, artificially low interest rates, and and, and especially on fiat, uh, and our kind of risk-on assets, I believe, are kind of at the high end of of the legacy stock market. Uh, I think that you know the world has gotten inflated. And, and I think the, the, the Web3 protocols are kind of the beginning of their S-curve versus where, where we are in, in kind of the 100-year cycles that, that are uh, discussed ad nauseum of kind of, kind of the, the legacy capital markets. And, and what this does is this creates a kind of game theoretical be, uh, behavioral incentives to, to, to act benevolently to, to, to essentially ensure the validity of a protocol. So, so basically, we can now put our assets to work uh, and then contribute to society in a meaningful way and generate yield and income. And uh, I wouldn't call it necessarily passive income, but, but minimally active income uh, th th that's necessary to, to, to drive kind of the, these fair playing fields of society. Yeah. 
So these are obviously some very big ideas that we're talking about here. The transition uh, between a financial system that's based on trust uh, and based on um, and based on reputation to one that's based on the laws of math and physics. Let's talk about how that transitions uh, into actionable items. So we're talking about the NAMI wallet. We mentioned this at the top of the show. Tell us a little bit about the product and how you see it fitting in to the ecosystem and also your relationship to it. Sure. So, so uh, NAMI is an example of a layer two scaling solution. Uh, if the Ethereum, if Ethereum is essentially this layer one trust and settlement layer for the global economy, there will be layer two solutions that sit atop uh, the uh, the Ethereum layer one, and basically they can be fit for purpose. Uh, transactional layers that uh, that that have different trade-offs. Uh, and, and there's basically what, what I would call a, a, a trilemma of, of, of blockchains uh, between scalability, throughput, and security. And you may have uh, this very decentralized, you know, 10,000 plus node blockchain, Ethereum, but it may be a, a, a bit too expensive to transact on to, you know, the, the, the example is always buying the cup of coffee or uh, but it'll be extremely secure uh, in 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 a in in this example. NAMI is a layer two scaling solution that prioritizes uh, predictable fees, instant finality, which is extremely important for the institutional use cases. Right. And 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 the ability to have configurable uh, know your client and anti money laundering, so you could basically create shards of a network that have just ten counterparties on it. So Ethereum can be this permissionless uh, substrate, but uh, you could have a Nami shard, for example, uh, that uh, you could have ten banks that transact uh, in 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 a, in a repo. Uh, and and they're the only ones that are allowed in that in that small ecosystem. So so basically, this is one layer two scaling solution. Yeah, I know this is always challenging to unpack these ideas in layman's terms, but give us a sense of the technology uh, that's used in Nami uh, to execute that transaction finality. Uh, you know, we talk a lot on Real Vision about some of these solutions, zero knowledge proofs, rollups, etc. Give us a sense about what makes this technology unique and why you think it's uh, it's well poised and well positioned to actually serve the purpose uh, of transaction finality and some of the other attributes mentioned. Sure. So, so, so I, what I would say, uh, the, the, the key kind of differentiator is a concept called state pools. Uh, the, the best analogy that I, I would use is that if you and I were to go to a pub and I were to open a tab with a credit card and then order us a round of drinks, uh, an appetizer, a lunch, a dessert, uh, and then another round of drinks. And then I close that tab at the end. If we had every single one of those transactions uh, hit uh, basically uh, hitting Ethereum layer one, it would be extremely cost effect uh, ineffective and it would be extremely timely. But what we can do is we can essentially open the channel uh, on chain 
So it anchors and we have all the security of Ethereum layer one and we can have thousands of microtransactions that occur, uh, which in, in my example were the different uh, rounds of food and drink. And then at the end, we can close the transaction on chain. So basically we can batch pools of transactions and open them and close them on chain. Yeah, this is similar uh, in some ways to some of the technology being used on Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. Yeah, it, 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 it takes uh, a, a bit of what I would call state channels. Uh, I would say the best of kind of state channels. And it takes uh, a, the best of kind of Ethereum's uh, security features and, and basically tries to uh, optimize for both of those without having the uh, periodic recommits of optimistic rollups. So basically having to go back to the base layer every time for each one of those, uh, in, in my example, uh, rounds of food or drink. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. Maybe we can zoom the camera out a little bit and talk about some of the scaling challenges on Ethereum. Yeah. Uh, I know we've sure. taken for granted a little bit that knowledge in this conversation, but let's explain a little bit about the current state of play in the Ethereum network, some of the challenges we have uh, with costs, with speed of execution. Where do you think we are right now in Ethereum? Is it a victim of its own success in some sense? So, I, I mean, I think we are where we are. Uh, it is indeed a victim of its own success. It is indeed scaling. Uh, it is indeed, you know, to use the poor man's analogy, kind of 1996 of the next generation of the internet. You know, if 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 you know if if, if the iPhone didn't come out till 2001, I mean, we are pre, we are in the early good old days, uh, and what we have seen is uh, a rich growth in the layer two uh, scaling solutions occurring. And we're, I would say, 50% through uh, the full Ethereum roadmap. Uh, coming up in Q3 of 22 will be the merge, where, uh, as I discussed, we shut off proof of stake. Uh, and, and basically, we'll have, excuse me, we shut off proof of work, and there's no more miners. And, and we fully transition to this much more energy-efficient validation uh, methodology. Uh, following that, uh, we're going to have the surge where computation goes off chain, but data stays on. So uh, the, the scalability occurs where uh, we, we can basically form consensus on shards of a blockchain, rather have every node of the blockchain uh, form consensus and agree. Next, we'll have what, what's being termed as the Verge, which uh, we're going to be transitioning from Merkle trees to Verkle trees, which uh, essentially uh, creates statelessness of the EVM. And then lastly, uh, which, which I think is probably about two, three years from, from now, and then 
Ethereum is, I would say, 95% done as, as this kind of substrate is the concept of a purge, where uh, it optimizes and removes technical debt. So we've got uh, the merge, the surge, the verge, and the purge yet to come. I'm curious, as someone who has a, a background in traditional banking, you know, if I if I crane my head a little bit to the right, I can see Jamie Dimon's apartment building uh, from my window, and I'm kind of curious about what you think the the current view uh, of of this ecosystem is uh, in the traditional financial services system, how they're thinking about it, and how you're thinking about the potential for integration with these distributed decentralized networks and the traditional financial and banking system? So, so what I think we're seeing is uh, legacy capital markets are starting to see particular use cases as trees, but not as an entire forest. Uh, and, 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 and we're zoning in on very specific, you know, this group of people tried to buy the constitution, but Ken, uh, Ken Griffin outbid them. So it failed. Or this group of people raised X amount of dollars, but they may not have done it properly uh, as a you know registered security, um, right. and and that was illegal and f- full stop. And 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 I don't debate that. But w- what we're seeing, in my opinion, is the, the the future of the internet. And and I think it's important for the the, the real vision viewers to really kind of distill this simply. Is, is, is Web3, in my opinion, are, is three distinct uh, concepts. The digitization of all assets. So, you know, we see, the, the, you know, does Bitcoin go up or does Bitcoin go down? But if we unravel that, is that blockchains have created uh, a next generation database that is a fair playing field because we have this decentralized validation process where we can have a digital representation of all assets. And that's not just dollars or yen, that's barrels of oil, bars of gold. A prescription is an asset. You can literally have a tokenized version of a prescription that your doctor is gonna be able to send you. Uh, An insurance policy, a song, a piece of art, and when we digitize these assets, we can now fractionalize them and, and, and we can uh, attach arbitrarily complex logic to them. We can attach governance rights to them because they're now natively digital. Next, we have the concept of the digitization of agreements. We are going from a world where we currently rely on Microsoft Word, in my opinion, the, the, the most successful software kind of in the history of, of the world right now, if you think about it, is Office. And, and, and our legal system is framed on Microsoft Office and Microsoft Word. And if there is a breach of an agreement, then we have to go to an arcane legal system that's very cost of, uh, inefficient and, and litigate. And, and, and try to incur damages. And, and in, in the future, we're gonna have these digital agreements where if X happens, automatically then the, the subsequent action occurs. And, and, and nothing is going to be able to stop that because it's a mathematical proof that we've fueled 
to 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 carry out that transaction. And 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 a great example of this, I, I live uh, on the island of Puerto Rico, and fifty percent of the poor people of Puerto Rico uh, still have not received their insurance claims from Hurricane Maria that happened in twenty seventeen, and it's really bad reasons like if the rain comes through the door we'll 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 pay the claim but if it comes through the window that's not covered in insurance and 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 concepts like that we as you know a society should be outraged by uh and 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 we can create parametric insurance policies when we digitize our legal agreements that says if there's premium paid on the insurance policy and there's X amount of rain or Y amount of wind, the, the policy is autonomously, automatically paid out to the beneficiary. And so th these are kind of next generation legal agreements that these databases uh, can enable. And then the, the last concept, which is probably the, the, the most abstract, is the concept of self-sovereign digital identity. Uh, and we as a society take for granted logging into some type of intermediary. We log into Uber, we log into Airbnb, we log into Facebook. And, and simply put, these intermediaries provide a meet space, whether they're, it's digital, uh, it pro they provide a reputation system, kind of your five stars at the end of the Uber, and uh, they, they provide uh, a, a way for us to socialize, but I'd argue they extract way too much value proportionate to the value that they add. And, and they also hold our data hostage wherein if, if, if you ask take 5,000 Ubers, I bet if you get five, four or five stars on each of those Ubers and you wanted to go uh, rent an Airbnb, you'd be a pretty good Airbnb guest. But all of that reputation that you earned in Uber is hostile and it's non-transferable to Airbnb. And right. in, in that sense, uh, in the future, your identity should be your browser that's secured by your own biometric, and 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 you should house and earn that reputation, and and that should be the kind of the the, the basis for those peer to peer interactions rather than kind of peer intermediary trusted subjective trust intermediary, and then peer. You know, that's a really striking and compelling view of the world and an incredibly optimistic one. I'm also struck uh, by the way uh, this lines up. So the digitization of assets, the digitization of agreements uh, and self-sovereign digital identity. I actually have broken it down uh, in, in exactly the same way uh, in my own head where I talk about the transfer of value, the transfer of trust and the transfer of identity, the secure ability to do this. Uh, a, a striking coincidence, we're thinking about this exactly in the same terms. Uh, there's so much to unpack there, uh, but really what strikes me is the optimism of this, the view of this as an egalitarian technology, as something that's leveling the playing field uh, for people who don't have access, for example, uh, to lawyers, bankers, and accountants to litigate things on their behalf. 
Uh, talk a little bit about where you think we are today uh, versus where we're headed uh, in this direction. What are some of the things that we're beginning to see right now come online that begins to uh, execute and implement some of these very broad-based ideas? <laughs> So, so I think we are still in the first inning. If I if I have to use that the the horrible baseball analogy, and I apologize for the cliche, uh, but I think twenty twenty two is is really going to bring forth uh, uh, actual use of this technology rather than you know people like me pontificating about it. Uh, what one particular use of this technology that that I think we're going to be seeing almost on a daily basis is the evolution of of next generation not only capital formation and governance or not only capital formation but governance as well through the concept of decentralized autonomous organizations or right. daos daos uh you know a few people i, I already mentioned that you know there, there were a thousand plus people that uh pooled capital and got a, essentially a receipt uh, for 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 the the capital that they contributed to to a smart contract, so it didn't go to a, a bank account, it didn't go to a person, didn't go to an escrow agent. It went to a living piece of software sitting on top of Ethereum, uh, over fifty million dollars, uh, with the intent of purchasing the Constitution, and unfortunately, that group's bid. Uh, and, and they did it through one of the auction houses, uh, through Sotheby's. And unfortunately, they did not win that. But it, it, it gave kind of the art of the possible that you could have disparate people uh, contribute capital and they would get uh, – and, and, and this is configurable because blockchains are, are, are able to have config, configurable logic, uh, equity rights, utility rights, and governance rights. So they were able to potentially vote on, for example, where the Constitution would reside so society could, could visit it and, 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 and see it. Um, that failed. Uh, just they didn't have enough capital uh, that day. But the next day, there was another DAO that was created to purchase the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, last week, there was a DAO created to purchase a golf course. And, and you're going to see these things occur, uh, I think, very f frequently in 2022. Uh, I think that, that that's going to be a major theme of 2022 is, is, is these organizations. And they're going to be a horizontal. They're not just going to be something that affects finance or, or music. It's going to be Supply chains, healthcare—you know—you you can name it. Nonprofits. Uh, it, basically, we're using this technology as a coordination mechanism for uh, people to join uh, a cause they're interested in, um, have governance rights, have equity rights, have have a you know a fraction of ownership uh, in an asset that they could never afford previously, and and feel part of something. So, so I think that's going to be a large theme of this year. Uh, another large theme of this year, I think, will be the, the concept of file storage. Uh, society takes for granted or America takes for granted a stable capital markets. Uh, and, you know, Bitcoin or Ether 
you know, as a storage of value uh, is, 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 is a much more comprehensive, uh, you know, comprehensible uh, asset in a place like Zimbabwe, when there's hyperinflation or Argentina or Venezuela, where there's hard, uh, uh, hyperinflation versus the United States, because we as Americans take for granted uh, hyperinflation. We may not going forward with what's right. gone on, but, uh, you know, prior to this, uh, you know, go to Zimbabwe and, 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 and ask them if they wanted a Zimbabwe dollar or a bar of gold or a U.S. dollar. And they, the, the last thing they wanted was the Zimbabwe dollar. Similarly, uh, we Americans take for granted where our files are stored, the, the digital assets that we have. And uh, we, uh, we, we typically beholden them to, again, data monopolies, uh, Amazon Web Services, uh, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, you know, Dropbox, et cetera. And those work great, and and we take that for granted right. in the U.S. If you go to Egypt or Turkey or Kazakhstan, uh, some of these places literally can shut off the internet, and they can seize your data. And and I think uh, there is going to be kind of this revolution in decentralized file storage. Uh, one open source technology I particularly like and follow is the Interplanetary File System, or IPFS. And, and uh, th there's a native asset to that called Filecoin, which I think will be, uh, I think this will be a breakout year for decentralized file storage. And I think that that's one of the best in class. And, and uh, we, we will see the intersection where we can have kind of smart ba uh, contract-based logic also store files as well. And we're gonna start the, the, the last kind of, I would say uh, point that, that I'd make in, in, in projections is starting to see Web3 technologies intersect. We've, we've spoken a lot about kind of Ethereum smart contracts on their own. Uh, we've, we've hit on file storage potentially on its own, but we're gonna start seeing smart contracts and file storage converge. And, and kind of create multiplier effects where you could have a smart contracts that releases a certain amount of file storage and store something on a per minute uh, basis, where you could have an employment agreement that gets paid by the hour. Uh, you're gonna have mesh networks, uh, you know, another uh, layer in the Web3 protocol stack where you have kind of decentralized access to internet. Uh, and and, and, and you couple that with kind of these next generation digital agreements, uh, it should reduce friction in society, reduce uh, the reliance on subjective intermediaries for trust, and, and, and simply put, the value should sway from the subjective intermediary in the transaction, uh, commanding lots of value for a transaction to the consumer of the good or service, and the producer of the good in, or service. So, you know, what Uber takes of the 35%, I think we could get done with a GPS algorithm and a smart contract and a micro insurance policy that ensures the ride by the minute for 2%. And, and, and that uh, is the only way we get out of this global macro mess. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, you, you mentioned this concept of comprehensibility. One of the challenges with uh, having this conversation for people who are relatively new to it is the scale, scope, and speed of the, uh, of the revolution that we're talking about here. You know, for example, just in your own business, these diverse lines of lending, staking, swap transactions, prop and venture investing, and you guys are doing this at scale, uh, over a billion dollars in capital here. Uh, just the idea of how big these changes are are probably it's just very challenging for people to get their head around. How do you think about this, this transition for people who are new to the space, who are just trying to understand this, uh, what the implications are uh, of a transition from, uh, from trust and reputation-based systems uh, architecture to physics and math? What would you tell someone who's just listened to this conversation who may have had their brains split open a little bit about how this change is going to take place and how it's relevant in their lives? Hopefully, they won't have to think about it <laughs> because it should be abstracted from them. Hmm. No one cares if you're using a SQL database uh, or a Visual Basic database or, or you know, if you're buying a ticket on Orbitz you know, or Expedia. It should all be abstracted away. What we should feel is that uh, more value is flowing to the producer and the consumer and away from the intermediary, and friction is reducing in our transactions. Things should move faster. Things should become more efficient. And and really, uh, for like the consumers of this technology, uh, it really needs to be as good of a user experience as web two uh for people that want to be part of this evolution of society it, that welcome down the rabbit hole alice and there is just infinite uh rabbit holes to go and 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 uh you'll enjoy it <laughs> and there's just infinite places if you want to figure it out you know I don't have all the answers by any means, uh, and we need all the help we can get. You know, as we come to the conclusion of this conversation and start to poke our head back above the rabbit hole, final thoughts, key takeaways you'd like to leave our audience with. We as a society have gotten used to institutions subjectively providing us trust. We as a society need to move to mathematics objectively revealing trust. We need to go from institutional subjective trust to mathematical objective trust. And, and simply put, uh, our world, in my opinion, will be better if we rely on open source, transparent, mathematically sound software, rather than third parties trying to extract as much value out of every transaction as possible. Uh, and, and, and this technology, uh, whether you want to call it a blockchain, Web3, uh, Ethereum, as, as kind of, I'd say, the marquee substrate for the smart contract layer, 
of 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 the Web three stack, uh, is is ushering in the ability to do so. Yeah. Let me ask you one final question. We've talked a lot about Ethereum during this conversation, but the ramifications, the implications here that we've talked about are much broader. Are there other L1 protocols, other layer one protocols that you're interested in, uh, that you're participating in, uh, or is it just an Ethereum play for you at this point? So so Ethereum is by far my strongest conviction. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I look at various metrics, uh, probably the most, the, 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 the most sought metric that I look for is developer activity. And, and just to give you an idea, uh, in terms of open source software projects, Google's most used open source software project is a, is a project called Kubernetes. And uh, there is a certain amount of developers that contribute to Google's Kubernetes every month. You can track that. And uh, a couple months ago, the Go implementation of Ethereum, which is also uh, written in Google's language, uh, the, the amount of developers that were contributing to the Go implementation of Ethereum eclipsed uh, Google's original largest open source project, which is Kubernetes. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I, I find, I look at that, I look at, uh, you know, By the, the way, the, the, the implication for this, for people who aren't familiar with this space, is that you, you have uh, an open source project being run by a Web 2.0 proprietary company like Google on the one hand, uh, and the rate of development now being outstripped uh, on the Ethereum network. This is a, a, a pretty significant uh, change in terms of the way that we think about software, about development, uh, and about the work that's been done in the Valley for the last 20 or so years. Agreed. And, and, then, and then I look at, you know, the capital markets metrics on in terms of you know, value that is locked, where we use Ethereum tokens or uh, Ethereum-based tokens, so ERC-20 tokens that are on Ethereum as collateral to, to borrow dollars against, where we can literally send Ether, for example, or a wrapped Bitcoin to a smart contract, um, you know, $100 of that, and we can borrow $25 worth of US dollars. And that's a, you know, $200 billion uh, business, just just that kind of borrowing dollars against uh, collateralized Bitcoin or Ether, uh, and and there's you know a thousand other assets on top of Ethereum, and and a thousand other protocols that are doing different types of financial instruments, uh, and 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 what I'd say is you know on, in the smart contract space, so so I actually don't like think of it as like L one, I think of it more of as layers of the Web three stack. So mm. in the smart contract um layer of the stack i i hearken back to uh the, the web 2 legacy example of search where 80% of search happens on google and then 20% happens on ask jeeves and bing and yahoo finance and there may be certain reasons why uh there are particular uh trade-offs that that one may use you know one search engine over the other but I would say that what we've seen is that the first thing any L1 does is creates a bridge to Ethereum, which makes it kind of more of a hegemonic position. Uh, with that said, um, right. I think there are trade-offs and there are kind of different considerations. I, I, uh, I like what NIR has done with, with, with their already existing proof of stake, with their early implementations of sharding. I like uh, what Definity has done with with their uh, 
their primary usage of Rust and WebAssembly, Wasm, which is a great technology. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I think that's very interested. And then, and then I'm very interested in, you know, the, the smart contract layer is just one layer of, of, of the space, you know, the, the file storage layer. And, and I would say what Filecoin and Arweave have done on file storage is very interesting. I think what Helium's doing with mesh networks and bringing kind of the decentralized access to internet anywhere is amazing. Uh, and then, and then mostly is like, how do they all interoperate and how right. do you build these kind of composability and, and, and these standards so that, you know, wallet X can talk to wallet Y and, and identity A can talk to identity B. Um, so, so, so kind of, those intersection points is what interests me as well. Yeah, by the way, for people who don't have CS backgrounds, computer science backgrounds, this idea of abstraction layers uh, is really what brought us the foundational technologies of the internet itself uh, with things like TCP IP, building these stacks of software on top of each other to interact with each other. Some people uh, in finance have called this the APIification of finance, that's application programming interface, uh, the ability to have systems that can independently talk to each other based on known rules and open standards architectures. This is a, a major shift shift uh, in the way that things get done today. Uh, a really fascinating, fascinating conversation. Andrew, I have a feeling we're just at the very beginning of this. I hope you'll keep coming back to Real Vision and continue to have these conversations with us. It's a pleasure. And what you are doing uh, is a service to the technology because without Real Vision and, and without what you are doing, uh, the, the people that have their heads on their existing businesses and their existing families um, may not be knowing that this is coming or how they can participate and how they can benefit. So, so you're really doing uh, society a, a great service in, in helping to explain these concepts. No, oh, thanks for saying that. And I really do hope you're going to come back and join us again uh, and continue to be part of this process. We're all on this kind of great journey of discovery. And it's been a pleasure to have you here uh, having this conversation with us today. Thank you, Ash. Thanks for watching, everybody. Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on Real Vision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because Real Vision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo at realvision.com.